This is the Sound Health Radio Show, where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health. I'm Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is always at work on the SoundHealthPortal.com. To get more information about the Sound Health Portal and see the work that Sherry's doing, I suggest going to the SoundHealthPortal.com, scrolling down to the bottom of the page, looking for the video tab, and watching a demonstration where Sherry will be on a webinar or Zoom or something, doing a live workup with somebody. And then you can see the flow of the work where they take the voice, a recording of the voice, it runs through the software, it breaks it down into its various pitches and notes and tones, and, but it's on a computer. It's not just somebody hearing it, it's run through software. <clears throat> and in the, that workup, you will see the chart part, excuse me, pie charts, which Sherry has come up with, which I think are great because it makes the data visually easy to see. Like she now has a chart where it'll show you the, here's the thing you want to look at now that may in fact cascade into affecting other things, whether it be the methylation cascade or assimilation. You can have something that's elevated and it may be elevated because you're not assimilating it or it may be elevated or too low. A lot of the things can look some way, but all have to do with the same thing, either about assimilation or not getting everything assimilated that works as a total, what I'll call food group. So I recommend going to soundhealthmortal.com and scrolling down and watching one of the video demonstrations that you find of interest. Because the display on the Sound Health Portal is really wonderfully exciting compared to the old days when we lugged around laptops and printed out massive reports of numbers that we had to figure out. So go there to soundhealthportal.com. To hear and share replays of the show about 20 to 30 minutes after you hear the outro music, you can go to talktomeguy.com, just like it sounds. And at the bottom, at the uh, usually about 30 minutes, you'll see on the episodes, you'll see this at the top with all the links that we refer to and show notes and anything that Carol and I talk about today because there's a lot to talk about. You can also, when you're there, you'll be able to, if you scroll down to the bottom of the show notes, you'll see that there's a player right there. So you'll be able to listen to it directly from the site. And it's designed to be very friendly to mobile devices or laptops or anything like that, as well as regular computers on the browser. But it was really designed so many people listen to stuff on mobile devices that it really works well there. And at the bottom corner of the show notes is a little microphone. And if you want to make any suggestions or any kind of information you want to know, just leave me a voice message and I'll get it and I will get back to you. With that, Carol Bagerly is founding director of Grassroots Health, a 501c3 nonprofit public health promotion organization with the direction of moving research into practice. She's the leader of the D Action Project, an international project co-designed by Dr. Cedric F. Garland of UCSD's School of Medicine and member of Moore's Cancer Center. This organization's mission is to move research into practice now to help move the population into an orientation of health and prevention versus fixing an illness. Grassroots Health has introduced new methodologies of field trials 
with testing and education to get valid real-world information about how nutrients actually perform and how to move beyond the limitations of randomized controlled trials. The organization is guided by a panel of 48 of the world's leading researchers in vitamin D and now other nutrient researchers. The key implementation innovation in this project is the use of the field trial, a formalized methodology approved by an institution review board used by participating individuals. The group has initiated the Nutrient Research Institute to enable testing and analysis of many nutrients together to see how they work with each other, which they do. Carol joins us today to discuss moving research into practice now. Welcome, Carol. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to move research, knowledge, and everything else into practice. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, a ra- it's such a radical idea. I think it's such – well, this is, I was going to save this for later, but I just have to say it's such a radical idea of thinking of the body as a system – and thinking, oh, these nutrients work together. Wow. But we'll get that. back to that. We'll get back to that. How about that? Um, I have to say for the, for the listeners, I was really kind of stunned that, uh, that I looked up the last time we talked, and it was in 2013. It's like, what happened to those nine years? Where did that go? That's amazing. We've done lots How, of work. Which we'll lots of work. We both, you've, you've been busy. You've been really busy. Um, we have. Yeah. How did how did Dr. Cedric Garland's research change your life or the direction of your life? It seems like that was a real, from everything I've read and listened, it was a really life changing time. Oh, totally. Having cancer was a life changing time, and then finding the, um, as anybody who has had or has cancer will tell you, it is a life changing experience. Um, Dr. Garland's information, when I found out about it, well, I was already two years into trying to figure out what I could do about the breast cancer I had in 05. He'd been working on it for over 10 years. He'd published data about it 10 years ago. And I talked to one of the, a public health person who introduced me to him, and she said, "Um, Carol, he's rather bright discouraged because nobody's paying attention and I said I am and it just it just hit me with how basic things because they aren't according to some approved protocol or something are ignored and Mm. um, Dr. Garland and Ed Gorham who worked with him from the Naval uh, Research and Training Center have done the work to lay the foundation for Vitamin D is the key to a lot, a lot of very significant things, and it can be prevented. And one of the key things that he had even then were what they call smiley curves, showing a deep incident occurrence down in um, around the equator of at least 80% less than up around um, the northern United States. Wow. But this was of thousands of people. This isn't just a few people. So you have to pay attention to something more than um, a clinical trial. Anyway, you can tell it changed my life. I haven't stopped talking since. <laughs> that, that's okay. And 
And back to the uh, News Nutrient Research Group, as I, or Institute, as I say, we were talking a bit backstage, and I've done about 400 hours mm-hmm. of shows plus another four years of terrestrial radio. And I think it's just wonderful that I'm beginning to see people such as yourself, thought leaders, because you've been doing this since 2007. Is that correct? Yeah, since we established the organization. Right. Wow. It's very exciting to see people talking about this idea that many nutrients together to see how they work with each other. That is such a radical thought, even today, and it blows well, my mind. It really is. One of the things that became there, like we worked at the beginning of our organization, we worked extensively with Dr. Robert Haney, to us, who was a total leader in this uh, co-nutrient thing and has published many papers. Um, but one of the things that was really, we, we've all known that calcium and vitamin D interact with one another for a long time. And there were other people that saying that's all that matters. And then another incident in life, my husband had a very serious encounter with atrial fibrillation. Mm-hmm. And I ran into, ran into, meaning I didn't find them out and go see them. It was not that blessed. Uh, anyway, the comment was that we can stop that with magnesium. I said, what? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer, disbeliever. <laughs> and years ago, we did. And it works. And there we, have, we now test by, uh, not only vitamin D, but we test people's magnesium levels. We can test omega-3, which is another major contributor uh, to health. Um, and seeing these things and plotting them one against another is absolutely phenomenal because they don't they don't interact linearly as it were okay so to know how it works for you every single person out there listening it's extremely important to do the testing but then to take a look at the results of not just your test but that of others so you can see here is where i fit because every person is unique and that's we're just not the same. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> really? How, yeah, we've seen movies about all being the same, and I'm not wild about it. So I think that's really yeah. important. Yeah. And, well, I'll jump to this. Setting aside whale blubber, what are really mm-hmm. good sources of vitamin D we could be consuming in terms of foods to start with? And can we get it? I bet leads to the, and can we really get enough on our food? Food issue. I really don't know. Um, there is the, it's, it's kind of a food issue with regards to, um, like they, they use mushrooms and they irradiate them mm. and they then get vitamin D in them. But that's a mechanism to do that. And that's fine. There are very few foods that have vitamin D in them. The, um, um, yes, that's stuff that grows on plants in the water. Oh, plankton um, or algae. Mm-hmm. Algae. Algae has vitamin D in it. But those are kind of rare sources in terms of the general populace, and I'm still very much with, hey, everybody. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the big source of vitamin D for us is still to learn to uh, use the sun and then ultimately beyond that, I think the other key thing is for the society, as it were, to develop mechanisms such as lights, such as um, ways to deal with what we have done to ourselves by changing our um, our lives. I would really like to talk for a minute right now about why we're so deficient. May I flip to that? Please. Um, um, because there are so many people, doctors and everybody, that say, well, I'm not in the sun a lot, or who cares, or no, I'm not. And or they take some sort of supplement to become less deficient, and I ask them how much, and they tell me how much. <laughs> and I, I don't laugh, but it's it's like that's not anywhere near enough, not anywhere near enough. Uh, so why are we deficient? We are deficient because as a human being kind of society, we came inside. And we came inside very few years ago compared to the evolutionary time of a human body. It takes the body a million years, 100,000 years to really change. And it does change. And we have seen many evidences of such stuff. But basically... We just walked inside. We came inside factories. We've also accepted something that is um, contrary to what we now know and have published, which is like the sun, um, the sun's rays, the UVB rays, which create the vitamin D in your skin, are there. Basically, they get through the atmosphere between about 10 and 2, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And if you stay out of the sun during that period of time because you're afraid of melanoma, you're missing what's good about the sun. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And that's why we have a sunshine month every May. May. So as long, back again to the sun for a second, as long as you don't burn, right, you're good. You're really good. So do not put on all that sunscreen. Do not, you know, get rid of it. But you still, the population at large will not get enough because most people are not going outside. There was a study done of Aboriginal people um, five years ago, ten years ago in that time period, and they went to see what are their vitamin D levels. And surprise, surprise, they are in the 40 to 60 nanogram per milliliter, 100 to 150 nanomoles per liter range. So if you have people along the equator outside all the time with very little clothes on, that's what they get to be. Now, you take that same person that's down there and you move them away to the North Pole, it's not the same. And mm-hmm. haven't accommodated for that. Um, and it's not a blaming thing. It's not a, a whatever. It's like our bodies, this system of stuff that we carry around really needs attention from a developmental kind of point of view. But it also needed that attention like with the magnesium, with the omegas and stuff that we're just now learning about. And it's exciting because of all the people that participate in our projects. Uh But anyway, 
That's and I know from I, I know from I've done a bunch of shows with Stephanie Seneff about many subjects from glyphosate mm-hmm. to hormones and mm-hmm. toxic. What I a phrase I coined a long time ago about total toxic load, meaning all the stuff that we're exposed to from the environment. And sure. she's very, very, very extremely in the best of ways pro be in the sun. Not all the time necessarily, but, you know, get, as, she, as we've talked about, you develop a tan, what's called a tan. I know that's sort mm-hmm. of not as vogue as it used to be, but like develop a tan. You don't have to be chocolate brown. You don't have to be Jack LaLanne brown, but develop a tan. That's a good marker. I think I, I, this is just my opinion, but I think having a tan is possibly a good marker of vitamin D levels. People who get some it's sk- a, it's a sun Go ahead, One pardon. of the things that I may interject here is that there actually has been research done and it has definitively shown that people who are out in the sun and get a tan, you ready for this, have less, less melanoma than those that stay out of the sun. <laughs> wow. That is, that is true, and it has been published. That's amazing. Uh, and if you think about all the night workers that get sick and so forth and so on, and it's very much out of the sun. Again, don't burn. Uh, mm-hmm. That is key. Well, I think part of what uh, – I can't remember who that was, but the uh, advertise back at, in the Wayback Machine, there was an advertiser that had the little girl running away from the dog and had tan lines and she was supposed to be smearing stuff on. I just can't remember who the marketing campaign was. And we, we got into the, you know, cover yourself at all times. When you go to the beach now, you see moms just covering their babies from head to toe with sunscreen and not allowing them to get the sun exposure because we got this like, fear factor of the sun was this deadly thing that was mm. going to cause yada, yada, yada. And it's, you're in the, you know, you're really helping it with grassroots health. I think really getting people to understand, Hey, maybe the sun is not the problem. I, I actually think, again, this is my opinion. I think that putting the goo, the various kinds of potentially what I will call creepy sunscreens on your skin and then photo driving it with the sun rays and the heat is really tricky I'll just say tricky. I have bad words. And I think, heck, developing a tan is a much better way of being protected from the sun. I, there do you are have a thought on that? Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I live and breathe. There are very yeah. few people that don't benefit from the sun, and they are extremely white-skinned people. Um, and I met some of them in New Zealand when I was over there a couple of years ago. Um, really, really, really white. Uh, but other than that, uh, you can measure your skin color and type and all of that and get an appropriate uh, exposure time. Again, we're talking about evolution here. The skin and the bodies have changed. The pelvis has changed. That's why women have different types of babies and different types of problems when delivering babies. I mean, it's, it's, it's all tied together, and it's beautiful. So, um, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's all tied together. I know. It's a radical idea. It's all tied together. I'm going to jump to the... Mm -hmm, Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, please. In order to know what to do about it, we still have to test. 
we cannot accept, and this is one of the things I would encourage all users and listeners to this, do not accept that the same intake or dose fits all. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. It varies by a factor of six based on many factors. Mm-hmm. One of the major ones of, with no surprise tends to be weight. But please make sure you test or have somebody test your vitamin D. And, of course, that's what we do to help people. <laughs> but um, it's just not the same for all. Right. And is I'll ask the counter question is, is vitamin D intake dangerous? Wasn't vitamin D one of those that there was – I know vitamin A was always like, oh, your liver will blow up, your eyes will pop out of your head kind of thing with vitamin A. Is vitamin D in any way, from your research, dangerous to take? I would like to shift that question um, from my point of view Please. and say mm-hmm. – is not taking vitamin D dangerous? Mm. How dangerous is not to take vitamin D? Back mm-hmm. again to our mention of there was something published by Inhane saying that something like over 90% of the children's population is deficient. Deficient. Wow. Less, less than 40 nanograms per milliliter, which is what we consider in our scientist panel, consider sufficient to do the development of all of the body functions. So if you're not paying attention to that, that means those children with their deficiency will not properly develop their hearts. They will not develop their athletic abilities. They will not develop their um, other things. That the anxiety is affected by vitamin D, believe it or not. Um, oh. And if, I mean, you just go down the list. So the cost of not taking it is serious. So you have to do it safely. And is there any problem back again with the safety issue? There, every case that was reported of any kind of hypercalcemia, which is what was used to determine um, too much, the person was taking more than 30,000 IU a day, which is very unusual, and had wow. been doing so for many months, or, or, and this is all that I have heard about in the last few years, a manufacturer had been, you know, somebody, generally a private person says, I want you to build a new or create a new product for me, and I want it to be 5,000 IU per tablet or something like that. And accidentally, the manufacturer makes it 500,000 IU a capsule. Wow. That has happened on several occasions, and the taker of it, after some time taking it, has gotten sick. And then, But the good news is the solution to this is to stop taking it. All right? <laughs> That's so radical. Literally. Oh, just stop taking it. Wow. Uh, so I wouldn't play with it, but it's like mm-hmm. you don't have to be that frightened. And the other thing is the Mayo Clinic published last year, I believe it was, it could have been the year before last, showing the intake of vitamin D people reporting intake and whatever has gone up very substantially. And there were no people reporting any toxicity. And that's thousands of people through the Mayo Clinic. 
So it's, again, it's hypercalcemia. And unless somebody has some unique disease, um, it would be very unusual. So let's stop worrying about the hazard of taking and start talking about the hazard of not taking. Right. Um, and I'm going to jump, this is still in the same category, but I want to jump to asking you about in Finland, I think I read, I can't remember, mm-hmm. it, when I study and research for a guest such as yourself, I've listened and read so much, I can't remember which way I've seen it or heard it. <laughs> but I heard you, or I'll say I heard, um, that in Finland, they're giving in, infants a thousand IUs from birth. And at, first, I want to ask, in the Americas, how much do we do pediatricians recommend vitamin D, question mark, and what is it considered to be a regular dose for infants in the United States? And in what were the, the results? States, Go ahead. The standard of care is about 400 IU, which is mm. very small. For an infant, it's generally okay. It's not, you know, for the first 6 to 12 months, it's all right to do 400 IU. That's not recommending it as optimal, all right? It's, it's what has been the standard of care. With regards to 1,000 IU, that's fantastic for infants even uh, because the way that infants tend to get their whatever it is, they are administered it by their mothers or somebody who forgets. This is not a criticism. It is a fact. It's, uh-huh. it's hard to remember to give people things on a regular basis. If the mother is nursing the baby, then that's more regular, hopefully. <laughs> and um, there again, she, as a mother, needs to make sure she's taking intake-wise at uh-huh. least 6,000 items a day to have enough um, vitamin D in her breast milk. And if she does that, then everything's cool. Um, so it's 1,000 IU a day is fine for Finland. And Finland actually has healthier children than we have had in the U.S. And they, um, at the 1,000, or actually they have had more than that in the past, they had zero cases of type 2 diabetes by the time the young, the young person was a little older person, about 30 years old. Wow. So it affects back again to it's not just right now it affects, it affects long term. Mm-hmm. That. And so I want to go back to the breast milk for a moment. So if the mm-hmm. mom doesn't have decent levels, then the baby getting the breast milk is not getting enough from that nutrient. So really the moms true. need to be aware of that. Yes, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Okay. And they need and to be aware that and I U A is what I am saying, and I am real, and it is not harmful to the mom or the baby. It might even be beneficial for the mom. Wow. Oh, how about that? <laughs> how about that? She's not just a milk machine. She's also having an immune system herself. What a riot. Right. Once again, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. And... I want to jump slightly to testing and ask about, Mm -hmm. because I hear these sort of mixed uh, back and forth. When you get reports back or you hear people talk about vitamin D levels, we hear it talked about either in serum levels, some people call serum levels, some people talk blood levels. Could you just clarify that for me? 
the difference between serum and blood levels? What is serum? The serum actually is a biological component of the blood, but it is across the general population or even in medical offices, serum and blood aren't necessarily separated um, in non-biological talk. Okay. Meaning like, I'm not sure it means anything different to the person who was talking about it. Okay. Um, but the me- the actual measure is of the serum, which is a component mm-hmm. of blood. Okay. All right. Thank you. I kind of thought so, but I thought I'm yeah. talking to an the, expert. Let's find out. For the, the vitamin D that we talk about is the 25-hydroxy vitamin D. Um, so that's actually what you would probably see on a lab report of 25 OHD. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're going to jump because I think this is such a great thing. I saw over the Valentine's, I saw the promotion, the grassrootshealth.com promotion <laughs> on children. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an amazing project because I think the, a great gateway for people to understand the, one of the, so many of the benefits of vitamin D is to have them begin to engage it with their children and eventually mm-hmm. will be like Finland in the sense of healthy kids, like reduced amounts of diabetes and other conditions. Mm-hmm. So please talk about this great promotion of Children of the World Project. We initiated a new uh, focus project. I mean, all the components of what we are doing are there with essentially all of our vitamin D projects, but we wanted to focus on the children like the personal story, all right? The personal story is almost always key to the initiation of major new events. I got a call from one of our scientists, actually, that we do research with all the time, and he was shouting, Carol, this has got to stop. This is too much. I just read about 1,000, 1,000 children dying, dying in the hospital. In the hospital, they were already admitted to the hospital, but they were dying of COVID children. Wow. And he knew that we had already published papers from others showing that if your vitamin D serum level is over 50 and ideally 60 nanograms per milliliter, you might get sick. But there have been no reported deaths. Man was standing there shouting, saying, we can't let these children die for something so simple. And I said, we've got to do it. We've got to do it. I don't know how to do it, meaning like every new project takes a lot of whatever. But the key thing to me was something we had already done about uh, protecting, uh, we called it Protect Our Children Now, which still goes on. But there has been an increase over the years in the premature death rate. Imagine. Oh, wow. And uh, premature birth rate, I'm sorry, the increase in premature birth rates. They're dying less because they, they capture them with that, but they don't have fewer preterm births. And wow. it's totally a matter of getting the mom's serum level up. And we demonstrated that with a project we did at MUSC and published again. Um, but what was interesting is that the rickets, 
which we've talked about in the past, which everybody has with children, that's the tip of the iceberg. Not having rickets might be solved by 20 nanograms per milliliter, but there is a lifelong impact on asthma, cancer, cardiovascular, pain, diabetes. I mean, it's like it's not just rickets. Our whole bodies, just like we need water, we need sunshine. Mic drop. End of show. <laughs> we might need sunshine. <laughs> and I was going to ask you about the rickets because when I, again, I heard or read you, read you saying that, that it was like, what? Rickets is kind of on the rise? How is that possible in this day and age? But you just explained all that. It, wow. Sometimes I'm just amazed at where we're at in areas like, what? That's all I got to say. What? And Isn't it hard? It's one of the things I was trying to figure out. Uh, why is it, uh, amongst other reasons, why is it so hard? And part of the hard, which I do understand, is right now our best fix for almost all of these nutrient things, supplement of some kind. Uh-huh. If you take a look at what it really takes to change a diet, to change a lifestyle, to change all of this, it's mammoth. It's absolutely mammoth. And it's a multi-decades, who knows, change, all right? You don't change somebody's lifelong diet overnight. But you can give them a supplement. And if you can convince them to take it, <laughs> uh, in many cases we do. But then taking a handful of supplements is strange, and it is strange. Um, but I also know, since I've been working at this close to 15 years, what it takes to change a lifestyle. Um, and while I, I ate differently than many people to start with, I didn't have much to change. Um, I've seen with different things happening um, in my life and others that it's more than you think. To expect somebody to totally change their eating pattern in time enough, in time enough to get their vitamin D, their magnesium, and their omega-3 level up to help them prevent a heart attack, it didn't ever happen. So I plead with all of you who are supplement takers at the present, uh, bear with it. It will change. (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, I, I would add into that 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 was part of what I had the – we were talking backstage. I had an herb store with partners mm-hmm. in a national mail order catalog in the, in the early 80s, all herbs. Mm-hmm. And we had the largest collection of botanicals in the western United States along with some encapsulated and we would also custom capsulate. And part of what mm-hmm. drove me the craziest is I would sit and talk with somebody and – possibly put together a blend that I thought was good for them or and I'd read everything from pharmacopoeias in the old days when pharmaco that was a physician uh, the pharmacist reference book a lot of the formulas mm-hmm. were herb blends because that's how they originally got a lot of medicine medicines from oh, herb extractions and so I'd put together a very good not real complicated sometimes too complicated I realized years later but it was the this this very tricky word, compliance. 
And all that meant was take them regularly. It wasn't like you had to go walk 10 miles a day. You just had to open the paper bag, take the capsules out, take two a couple times a day. And a lot of times people would come back and say, yeah, I noticed the difference, but I got, I stopped taking them. And it's like, I would hear that. It would just blow my mind. I saw a difference, but I stopped taking them because I forgot or I got bored. I didn't you know, whatever the reason is. And it's just the same thing. Like you say, it's the idea, the idea that rickets could be resolved by 20 IUs of vitamin D is mind blowing. So, so I've been a supplement taker from the early days of the herb world forever. So when I'm with people who are, I've been trying to get vitamin D into their life for a long time. And it's like, well, you know, I, I, there's always some whiny, like, why not? <laughs> so it's really. There was, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Um the change or something like that. Once upon a time, I was invited, I was a, a physics major, and I was invited to a session with some male physics teachers and physicists who were trying to figure out how to get more women into physics. Well, I was a mm-hmm. candidate for that question, and they were talking about what to do in high school and what to do here, here, and here. And I said, you've got it all wrong. And they looked at me kind of funny. And I said, it starts at home. It started with my father. All right. Mm-hmm. He told me when I was, I don't know what grade I was in, seventh grade probably, in that era, I came home one day and I had a C on my report card. And he said, why did you get a C on your report card? And I said, well, everybody else did. <laughs> and he said, you're not like everybody else. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, believe it or not, I believed in myself. Huh? I believed in myself. And since that point in time, I have believed in everybody. I think everybody in this whole wide world can educate themselves, can learn more, can take care of themselves and the joy of health but they have to be provided the tools and they mm-hmm. don't even know they're missing them. So that's what's exciting to me about this children's project which here is an avenue to get this started at a much earlier age mm-hmm. with groups of parents, children working together so that this isn't started when they're 20, it's started when they're two or three, four or five. Mm-hmm. And they grow up with it in their classrooms so it's what they learn about. And the next part of that is to develop the tools that are appropriate for everybody and for young people. I mm-hmm. had the privilege of um, being trained in and running a Montessori school. That is oh, ideal. Wow. That's what mm-hmm. needs to be done with health. We need to develop the the models, the puzzles, the funny things for the um, integration of all the body parts health i mean it's it's ready and waiting <laughs> <laughs> it's available <laughs> operators well, are standing by um, well, not exactly right. but kind of that's at right. grassroots health you can go and you can i wasn't going to go here because i want to come back to talking about kids but do talk to us for a moment about you can go to grassrootshealth.com 
and dot, you dot net, dot net. oh, it's, pardon me dot net, and you have mm-hmm. put together kits. I don't mean you personally, like up at night late like mm-hmm. an elf making kits, but you have kits for people to get testing. Talk about some of those tests and how that will give people foundational information of like, wow, I had no idea it was that low. Talk about some of the tests. Thank you, thank you. Um, the one that we started with back again to. When something is significant like this, and to me, I think it's partly the science approach. If you don't test, if you don't test something once you're telling somebody you need to change it, if you don't have a measure of it, what you want to change, you don't have any incentive provider. You also, other than the personality of somebody, you also don't have what's so important is to say, did you achieve your goal? If you didn't test before, you can't say, I got there, right? Hmm. It doesn't happen. Hmm. And my husband and I both have developed things with self-paced education, and that's what we're talking about with this whole vitamin D thing, as well as the omegas, as well as magnesium, as well as all of this. You test, and in the meantime, you hopefully have learned a little bit about why you're even interested, and there's a lot of stuff on our website about that. Um Back again to my mentioning the AFib and the preterm births and the breast cancer. On the positive side, athletics, um, there's just so much. Um, So why are you there in the first place? We do address. And then also um, the many tests that we give. I think currently we have about somewhere around 20 different tests that we offer. And I, I don't have those fast enough on my brain to run down. But I hope that those of you who are listening will take a look and see what's out there because they all, and they're all done with blood spot tests. You do a finger prick um, and drop the blood on a card and then send it in to us and we do our thing and get it off to the lab. And, oh, I do have one thing. May I talk about testing just a minute? This is really key, but I can, yes, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> We we get reports sometimes, not just from us, but from other people saying they don't like doing uh, lab tests because they're unreliable. And the reason of unreliable word in their mouth is that they did it yesterday. You know, let's say, for example, it was 45, and then they did it again, and it was um, 56 or something. And so the testing isn't good. And then you say, what time of day did you test? And, or how frequently do you take your supplement? And all of a sudden it has come to light that the, the time of day that you take it is a big driver. We had a case mm. study done by somebody who bloodied their hands out the kazoo every single day, okay? Wow. Three times a day, doing five tests each time. Each time. Wow. Or I think it was a month to see what happened. And every single set of tests showed about a 20% increase in the value of vitamin D at noontime hmm. compared to the morning and the evening. Right, so it's not the testing lab; it's the body, the body doing that. Furthermore, and this is a single incident, so it's whatever. 
but prior to the onset of a really bad cold, a day prior, the vitamin D level tanked. Hmm. So was that used by the cold? I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. We need more more on that one. But the idea that our serum levels increase by much as 20% at noon, this is something we now tell people, I don't care when you take your vitamin D test, but just do it the same time every time you do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that be consistent. That, yeah. that old oh, thing, yeah. that old grind. Be consistent. That's hard, that's, oh. hard, that's hard. So many people are working at this. I mean, we are just, the, all the people that participate in our projects are just, they're giving to the world, and I'm not even sure they really realize um, how much information they're enabling the rest of the world to have with their participation. So this is a very mm-hmm. special thank you to all of them. It is a really wonderful thing with the field trials. I think, well, I know we're going to do at least another show of not a half a dozen, that <laughs> that's one of the things Richard that grassroots like health, <laughs> that's one of the things that grassroots health I thought was really cool way back in the way and machine when I discovered you was this idea of field trials. You're actually mm-hmm. gathering real world information from real people living real lives, not a controlled double blind, you know, none of that sort of thing, real world test. And then looking at all that and, and researching the data from that. That's such a radical idea. It's like the idea of the book, The Longevity Study, where they actually looked at cultures. Now, there might have been some gaming there, but that's a different show. But they looked at different cultures and saw how they were all doing based on the diet that they had in their culture. And that's, uh, that's why I think this is such a great way to find data versus, once again, back to lab rats um, in controlled situations. I'm not anti-rat rats. Well, I, I, I'm probably quite no pro-rats. Yeah, there's no way that any RCT could capture as many different things as we do, like 15,000 people. They couldn't afford it. They could yeah. not afford it. They yeah. can't even afford to carefully monitor two nutrients, much less five, six, or seven that people track with tests. Right. Now, a field trial is RCTs have different phases, right? This is actually a phase four RCT. It has a structure. It has specific questions that have to be answered, have to be, and there are some that are optional. And we measure what it is we are I mean, we lay out the research protocol before we do it. Um, and then we evaluate it according to rules that we laid down. Dr. Haney helped us lay down with how to evaluate nutrients. So this is not a, I don't want to call it just an observational trial, but it's a long way from just an observational trial. It's a population study. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very formal one. So Yeah, that's, that's very exciting. I want to. I was going to go to a different question, but I, I want to go back to children for a moment. And this is a. I will put the link to this uh, page at Grassroots Health in the show notes. You have an article that's most children are not getting enough vitamin D. Is mm-hmm. your child? And so once again, this is sort of for me, kind of related to the Children of the World project. Is let's start with the kids. 
exactly. like Finland. So would you talk just mm-hmm. a bit about that? Children are not getting enough. Um, well, if we make the assumption that most adults aren't getting enough, it's not too surprising that children aren't getting enough. <laughs> <laughs> really, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a sense of logic to it here. Yeah. Um, but um, the tell me what you would like me to focus on. There are just so many thoughts here. I just I, I know I can, it's like a box of marbles. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to just pause that no, box of marbles right. to that's you because right. it's a lot. Right. Let's just talk because I have this page up. Let's just talk about this part that blows my mind: that 93 percent of children in the general U.S. population have vitamin D levels below. 40 NGs per milliliter. Right. Really? How is that possible? That's... I mean, don't we have to go out of our way <laughs> to not have vitamin D levels of some kind? That's amazing. No. No. You can just be inside and are playing computer games and are uh, covered up all the time. And these children are sufficiently young that um, they are totally in an era of inside living and computer mm-hmm. games and yeah. things that keep them inside. Whereas at least earlier we had periods of time when children are outside playing baseball, football, whatever, and now they're inside with the computers. So we have a whole generation now of people like that. So we're going to see more of that. There yeah. are, I think I mentioned somewhere, I don't know, there are 72 million million, 72 million in the U.S., children below 18. And that's what that population was measuring. And out of that, if you take the 93% or 90%, you've got 67 million that are deficient. So we have an opportunity, we meaning all of us, have an opportunity to save the world, help us do it. (laughs) It's just kind of like we've entered a new era. Right. And how do magnesium or vitamin K2 affect our vitamin D levels? Or actually also, I would go the other way, how, does our, how do our vitamin D levels affect our magnesium or vitamin K2 levels in a certain way? There's, a, there's that dance between all of those. And what are some of the other nutrients that are key cofactors with vitamin D? I know um, that's a big question. Well, let's see. I don't think we have two more hours. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The first one that I think we paid attention to actually was the omega-3. Partly because there is enough data to show that it is necessary for heart health and many other things. And we have even measured how much it takes of whether it's an EHA or a DHA component of the omega to do what um, a dose-response kind of relationship. And fish oil is is what this is part of for lots of people. And this makes a big difference uh, if you think, again, what are, what are the um, nature component foods and our substances anybody could eat. Fish. Well, fish has gone away again from being a substance that everybody eats to only that which a few people eat. 
Mm-hmm. Furthermore, they tend to buy rather expensive food, mm-hmm. and they don't see that it has any value other than fish. And that is another, anyway, so the fatty fish is really a main component of um, the omegas, and it's really from the farming of the different kinds of fish, which has depleted the things mm-hmm. people get on the market from having that. Um, right. So we've measured that and what it takes. And one of the things that has been really important with all of our measures has been how much it takes of the intake of whatever it is we're measuring tends to be much, much higher than people expect. Meaning like they they need to take a lot more. They think, oh, I'm taking this fish and I'm eating this once a week. Well, I'm sorry, but you have to eat it twice a day. (laughs) (laughs) So you think of yourself as a survival type person. You need water. It needs to be clean. You need the fatty fish, uh, which needs to be somehow or somewhere, and the vitamin D, of course. And then people don't know about magnesium, but magnesium is a, a mineral. You need that. So think about eating lots of rock. <laughs> yeah. It's all of these things. Put yourself in a um, an ancient world and not yet humanized in the sense that we are today. What on earth would you be eating? Well, everything you were eating then you need now. Why? So that's that's what's really exciting to me. Mm-hmm. And do we do we get benefit? from grass-fed, grass-finished, and I'm very specific about the way I say that because I think that's important that it be grass-fed and grass-finished, no grains. Are there fats in there that are beneficial for vitamin D? Richard, I'm not uh, knowledgeable enough to answer that um, for you. Uh, I know that how how anything is fed matters, uh, Mm -hmm. but I don't wish to answer something like that okay. for me. Okay. We'll get back to that. <laughs> you get down. You can do that. Oh, <laughs> okay. I, I have one other major thing here. Both vitamin D uh, and it seems to be the the sun or the UVB for sure, um, as well as the omegas, have a very significant um, impact on um, seasonal affective disorder. People get really depressed, even suicidal, which you may have heard about, especially in the wintertime uh, in places like Alaska and whatever where they just don't see enough sun for a while and trying to find ways to get them not just vitamin D, but even some of the sun's rays, whether it be artificial or whatever, is really important. Um, So back again to aging and location, that's another important component. Okay. And speaking of aging, since I'm doing that, mm-hmm. seems faster these days, mm-hmm. but not really. It just seems mm-hmm. like it sometimes. That mm-hmm. as we age, do we need greater levels of vitamin D? Well, actually, this is a two-part question. Do we need more? Is part of that affected by our ability to assimilate? Are there things that we can do to aid the assimilation of the vitamin D as we take it? I think that there might be one or two things we don't totally know yet, Richard. Do you think? Yeah, just a couple. (laughs) I think the aging part 
is of the essence. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for example, I have a very good friend, Dr. Bill Sears, a pediatrician who has run a beautiful clinic for a long time. And we met with him, and he said, Carol, he was very puzzled because his vitamin D level wasn't what he thought it should be. And I asked him what he ate, what he took, what he whatever. And at that point in time, I think he was 75-ish or 70 or in that range, all right? And Bill is quite thin. Um, And I said it is quite possible that even though you're outside, you're not absorbing through your skin enough to um, get enough vitamin D because there's not enough um, of the kind of fatty tissue in your skin that helps the skin absorb the vitamin D, right? Partly the aging part. And all of a sudden he saw that very quickly and he started taking vitamin D supplements and eating more fish and he was his vitamin D level went up. And so that was good and we see a lot of that um, in terms of aging. The other part of aging is if people... Um, take even vitamin D and the omegas again, the arthritic issues really get downplayed. Um, takes a lot of the connective tissue um, to be healthy. And so if they don't have that in their bones or whatever, then it hurts a lot more. And they end up taking pain pills, which we'd like to help them avoid. Right. Um, and is there is there a relationship with vitamin D and magnesium? Again, I heard you oh, talking absolutely. about pain, absolutely. pain reduction, yeah. and vitamin D and magnesium. Right. I think. Please talk about that. Um, trying to think of what. Um, well, let's see. I don't think my husband would be wouldn't be alive without both of them. So no, that's my statement of emotion. <laughs> okay. Uh, but. There is evidence that magnesium helps vitamin D be absorbed, all right? And I do not have that in front of me um, and get it in the the bones and all of the healthy things it needs to be in. But there is such evidence, same as with the other things, but vitamin D ties ties to all of them. Okay. Not as strong as I'd like to end with on that one, Richard, other than we need them all and join us in learning the more things. How's that? Right. Well, and it really, it does go back in a certain way. It is, it's as we move toward a close, is it does go back to the Nutrient Research Institute looking at that opening thing about what are some of the other nutrients that are key cofactors of vitamin D that were actually Mm -hmm. a system. We're not just... You know, we really everything works together. And as you as you joked and said, maybe just a couple of things we don't know. Um, that it's really a system. So the idea of oh, I'm not sure yet, but my view is again my opinion is if we're not sure, I would always lean toward if we if we don't have actual trials yet showing this, I would still lean toward taking magnesium and vitamin D. Because, uh-huh. oh, wow, my levels of vitamin D are a little high and my muscles are a little too relaxed. I hate when that happens. I mean, I'm joking, but it's just like, why not? 
why not? You know, well, the why support not your immune system. Very good question. Uh, the other thing is that's why we've developed, literally, that is why we have developed a software product to be used with all of our participants called My Data, My Answers. You find out, you research with your body, with your response to these nutrients, how does it work for you? And you can compare it immediately to how it works for everybody else in the population. So by becoming what we have tagged a citizen scientist, you're not just taking it. You're taking it and you're getting answers to how does it work for you. And that's, that's key to us. Look forward to the baseball cap from Grassroots Health that says Citizen uh, Scientist. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank that's you for gr- the participation. I very much um, appreciate spreading the word. Well, you're definitely coming back. It might be a monthly thing. I can't tell yet. <laughs> we'll talk <laughs> after the show because there's so much here You from from the kind of research that Grassroots Health has been doing since 07, uh, which sounds very far away, and for some people that was very far away. And I just think it's a great – I love the trial-gathering data paradigm because mm-hmm. I think it just makes so much sense. It's real-world experience. We're not in labs. We're being exposed to stuff in the world. Let's look at that and see what our bodies respond to. Wow. Well, I would love to throw out for consideration for your whatever is for all of those people that are listening to this um, Talk to Me Guy kind of show over the next month or something, if there's a way to get those enrolled and see how they share, show up differently than somebody from some other type organization. We've got lots of organizations, Richard. Right. So if you wanted to to kind of take a look there, that's also very exciting. It's very exciting. The idea of being part of you know this, as you say, become a becoming a citizen scientist. I love that idea of people actually well, participating right. in their own health. Wow, in their own wow. healthcare. Oh my God, <laughs> what? It's a revolution. I'm very excited. Um, Thank you. Where can you where all. would you like people to find out more about your work, your research, what you're up to, everything about grassroots, all of that? Um, they can always go to our website, grassrootshealth.net. And that's generic, but there's a lot of things to choose from there. Um, Boy, howdy. And if you did grassrootshealth.net slash children, you would get something else which would lead you more quickly to the, the information about children. And we will have some new um, placards about that within the next week probably. Great. Okay. I think that's I, – I really do – we'll definitely do another show about that because I think that's such a great gateway of getting people to see, oh, my child is healthier and their immune system is stronger and look what they did in Finland. There you go. It's wonderful. Thank you so much, Carol. Go ahead. You bet. You bet. Talk to you later. Thanks for having us. You bet. And everybody else, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.